Hi, I'm Pastor Lori Boucher, and I want to personally welcome you to the HeartStrong Discipleship Podcast. Are you ready to study the Bible together chapter by chapter? If you go to heartstrong.life and sign up for a free membership, you will get access to the full Bible reading plan and all the bonus discipleship content that we have prepared for you. Open up your Bible and get ready to take some notes because God is going to speak to you today. Let's become heartstrong disciples together through the study of God's Word. I think the scripture uh, that we read this morning and that you guys uh, have been memorizing throughout the month is is very profound because I, th- I think it fits very well with what we're going to read together this morning. And I think in um, in uh, my preparation for for this, there are so many different themes and different realities in which we get to see not only what Abram did and his faithfulness, but we see how Christ uh, works in and through that. And you know, in these chapters. Uh, as we look at our five-minute kind of overview, uh, I think in these chapters, we're going to read about God's call to Abram and about Abram's journey to Egypt and about Abram's encounter with trusting self versus God and, uh, and Lot, his nephew, uh, his, his uh, journey alongside of Abram, but also his betrayal of Abram uh, and ultimately Abram's rescue of Lot from captivity and potential death. And I think through these scriptures, we can see that not only did Abram struggle, but so did Lot. And I think it's one of those realities that we're going to pull some truths from that. And despite God's promise to Abram, uh, there were still moments when his best judgment, Abram's best judgment was used and the results weren't great. Um, And, you know, and I think uh, Lot chose to also follow his own judgment and to possession and wealth and believing he was strong enough to overcome the temptation of the world and not be in it. But I think uh, we'll see that this what did, wasn't, uh, didn't really play out the way he expected it to. And we see a story of how God promised and the varying degrees that both Abram and Lot put in Christ and in God through those to the fulfillment of those promises. But ultimately, it was God who was proven to be the one who redeems, restores, and rescues regardless of the situation. And then we see also how Abram was able to overcome his mistakes and to begin to step into the promise that God had for him. And actually we'll see too, how Abram really kind of foreshadows Christ and his redemption through his actions. And so this is what the scriptures are, you know, a very succinct summary of uh, of these scriptures. And and, um, as we dive into it this morning, uh, you'll hopefully be able to see exactly what it is that um, that God has for us. So I'm going to read them. Uh, so Genesis 12 to 14. I probably will skip uh, a little bit, a little portion. Uh, I can allude to it, but there's a, a, a large section uh, where uh, the kings are talked about. And, you know, I, I mean, you can you can listen to my horrible pronunciation of Hebrew and, and uh, if you want, but I think uh, <laughs> we'll just kind of, we'll kind of probably skip over that portion um, or we'll, we'll just kind of skim through it. But this is what the, the word of God says in uh, Genesis chapter 12. Now, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. 
I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran and Abram took Sarai, his wife and Lot, his brother's son and their possessions that they had gathered and the people they had acquired at Haran and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place Shesem, to the oak of Morah, and at that time Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country to the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel to the west and Ai to the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going towards the Negrim. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarah, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. <clears throat> and for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you've done to me? Why did you not tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into the Negrim. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from Negreb to the, as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had been made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord, and Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. So the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At the time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. And if you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. And if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. This is before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley <clears throat> and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the cities and valleys and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward and westward for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth 
so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can be also be counted. Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at, at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Now, here's where I'm going to, uh, <laughs> to, to skip briefly. But in the days, there were multiple kings. <laughs> All right. And then we're going to skip down to uh, um, verse uh, 11. Actually, I'll, I'll start at verse 10. Uh, now, in the valley of Siddim was full of bitmen pits. And as the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some fell into them and the rest fled to the hill country. So the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom and his possessions and went their way. Then the one who had escaped came and told Abram, the Hebrew, who was living by the oaks of Mamre and the Amorite, brother of Eshkel and Aner, and they were allies of Abram. When Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men, born in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. And he divided his forces against them by night, and he and his servants, and defeated them and pursued them to Hobah, north of Damascus. Then he brought back all the possessions and also brought back his kinsmen, Lot, with his possessions and the women and the people. After his return from the defeat of Shedelomor and all the kings who were there with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shavez, that is the king's valley. And Machizeldek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God's Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, but I take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Let Aner, Eshkel, and Mamre take their share. And so we have an incredible um, journey and story here. And it's one of those things where um it there's some great pieces that uh, i would like to pull out during the brief time that we have together starting in verse uh, uh so chapter 12 verses 2 and 3 uh, we we read about how god's going to make abram a great nation and how god will bless abram and i think it's really interesting because god's blessing wasn't just uh nebulous it wasn't just kind of you know, out there. It was very specific in what he was saying. He was saying that he was going to bless Abram numerically. He was going to bless him influentially, and he was going to bless him spiritually. And so from that, you know, there was a great promise that he was able to, um, to be able to step into and be able to see what God was going to do. And then we read later on in verse 10, that there was famine in the land. So Abram has this, God gives us him this revelation, and then he has to journey, and we see that he's kind of moved from place to place. And then all of a sudden, where he is, there's famine. So he's faced with this decision and choice, right? You know, is this, is this something that he still wants to trust God in? And I think for all of us, that's not always easy to do, right? God had great plans for Abram, and he'd already told them what they were. But the question is, would Abram and how would Abram respond when the answers weren't so tangible, uh, when they weren't so prevalent? You know, what, what exactly does he do? And so then we read on in verse 11, 
that, uh, you know, he concocts this idea, um, you know, that trusting in his own wisdom, he doesn't really wait for God. He doesn't inquire of God. He just says, okay, so we're going to go to Egypt where this is what we're going to do. And, and hmm, he starts getting a little nervous. And so he starts to trust in his own wisdom for his own protection. And he actually trusts a lie for his protection, right? He's going to lie that Sarah's his sister versus his wife. And so he's already put into place this idea or understanding that, you know what, God, I, what your revelation has for me and what it is you want for me, it's going to be great and awesome. But in this situation and circumstance, I think I might know best. And so I'm, I'm just going to take care of this. And so the suggestion really too, is that Abram was only thinking about himself. He wasn't thinking about his protection of his wife. He wasn't thinking about following God. He was actually just thinking about himself. And so this is a really um, key moment, but I also think it's, it just reveals truly in this uh, part of the passage, it just reveals Abram's humanity uh, because he, he was a man and he was a man who was trusted and revealed to, uh, by God a certain vision, but unless he was willing to walk in it day in and day out, we see how quickly uh, his mind could be changed and shifted by the circumstances of each and every moment. And so I think it's very important that we, we see that. And then in verse 17, we see that, you know, um, it's, it's revealed to Pharaoh about who Sarah really is. And God's, God protects Sarah. I mean, it's so fascinating in this passage because <clears throat> Sarah could have been taken by the Pharaoh and could have been violated and, and everything else. But God actually protects her. She wasn't touched. She wasn't, uh, there was nothing poorly done to her. And so she was protected through this. And that's really God's character, right? That just reveals his character that every time in place of danger, God always finds a reason in of himself when, what he's able, when he's able to find no reason in us to actually move and intervene on our behalf. And so he doesn't, he doesn't need us to say, nope, because of what you've done, I'm going to intervene. Because of God's character and nature, he intervenes because that's who he is. And we see this in this revelation. And then in verse 20, um, you know, we recognize that Abram is humbled. He's completely devastated because he realizes all of a sudden that he's bartered his wife away uh, for protection and some cattle. Yet God moves and he rescues her and he restores her and he redeems her. And I think that this serves as a great example to us that no one is beyond God's ability to redeem. No one is beyond God's situation and circumstances. And I think there is a challenge to us too at times where we can look at the situation that someone might be in and think there's no way, there is absolutely no way that this person or this reality can change. And God almost says at times like, really? Well, maybe not according to you, but according to me, all things are possible. And we see that this is a reality to which Abram, you know, it was revealed to him. And in that moment, he's humbled and he realizes, oh my, what have, what have I done? And more importantly, not only what have I done, but God, who are you? And so God steps into that moment and says, Abram, it doesn't matter what you've done, or it doesn't matter what situation you're in, or it doesn't matter what context you're in, or it doesn't matter what reality it is that you're in. I am God. And trust me, I will do this and I will move and I will restore. And Abram had been promised great things. Yet in a moment, he relied on his wisdom to provide an answer instead of looking to God for an answer. 
And it was Abram's decision for them to move to Egypt. It was Abram's decision to lie about Sarah. And it was Abram's decision that he would therefore try and live out his life with this knowledge and understanding that he bartered his wife away. But God didn't allow his decisions to affect how God moved. God chose to allow, to redeem, and to restore each and every situation. Then we move on to uh, verse 13, or chapter 13, sorry. And uh, I want to pick it up uh, in verse 9, where he says, Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. And if you take the left hand, I will go to the right. And if you take the right hand, I will go to the left. We see in this passage, in this reality, the magnanimity of Abraham right? He, he, he uh, in this, from the time we just read chapter 12 to this point in, in chapter 13, Abram's had this, this change of heart, this reality of like, God, I've been humbled by what you did. I've been humbled by what's happened. I've been humbled by who you are in the situation or circumstance that you led me out of. And we see that, you know, and the reality is that when we saints wander in sinful ways, they kind of inflict a hurt on their spirits from which they can't recover unless they seek God's righteous path again. And we see that, you know, that Abram's kind of to that realization and to that reality of like, God, you are God, and I need to trust you at each and every moment. And we also see that godly character is not only revealed, but it's further developed in the heart of Abram and, and what it is that God has called him to. And I think it's not something that just was for Abram, obviously, but it's for each one of us as followers of Jesus, is that when we cultivate a gentle and forgiving spirit, it's not uncommon to find our, in ourselves, our spirit strengthened to perform great deeds of holy valor. Like God has called us to do different things, but when we actually step out in humility and in forgiveness and in gentleness, we're actually able to do things that are above and beyond what people could even imagine. And so because of that, not because of what we have within ourselves, and obviously not because of our personal strength, but because of God working in and through us, and because of our trust in him, we see what it is that he's called us to, we see his faithfulness, we see what it is that he's going to do time and time again, and we see the obstacles that he continues to remove, and we're able to, to operate in gentleness and grace, trusting in the revelation of his Holy Spirit in each and every moment, and because of that, there are great and profound things that we are capable of doing in the name of Jesus. And so because of that, Abram is also able to allow Lot to move forward. And it was Abram's right, not Lot's actually, because it was the promise was given to Abram, not to Lot, that God would uh, expand and fulfill and give him a great nation. And yet he didn't allow God's promise, all right, to be the one thing he sought to fulfill right? He pro God's promise was God's promise. So he trusted God to bring it to about. He wasn't going to go about and say, okay, well, this is God's promise. So I got to figure out how to do it. I've got to go figure out how I'm going to chase after it and, and what's going to happen and how do I make this happen? And, you know, where do I go? What do I do? What do I do? He rested in the fact that if God has promised, God will do it. And each and every moment, his only um, uh, reality is that he has to trust God in each and every step, not 200 steps down the road, not 2000 steps down the road, but each and every step one by one, because if God has promised, and if the fullness of God is going to be revealed in what God has promised, 
then it takes God to bring it about. It's not about what we do and what our actions are or anything else. It's trusting God in each every moment. Yes, obviously we have to step into what God reveals. And yes, we have to you know, step into the realities to which God has said, this is what I want you to do. But trying to, God, uh, Abram didn't try and make it happen on his own. And so when it came to this moment of what, you know, to dividing up all of their possessions and their livestock and where people would go, et cetera, et cetera, he realized that, you know what, it's not about me bringing about God's promises, but rather it's about me trusting God to do it. And so he, he brought uh, in his humility, Abram was able to release Lot. And so in verse 10, we read that Lot looks at things and goes, huh, huh, well, there's, there's some great stuff over here in the Jordan Valley. So, you know what, I, I think I'm going to do that. You know, and Lot's choice was, was, you know, could be looked at, at selfish and self-serving. And it could actually be very looked at as very disrespectful because Abram was his elder. And so Abram should have been deferred to and Abram's choice should have come first. And we see a lot of throughout the scriptures, these choices or these ideas of people who were younger um, usurping the, the due honor of those who are older than them. But the fact is, is that there's always a plan that God has, you know, for that. And for Lot, he was only involving only his wisdom and what he could perceive. You know, it was a huge life choice. And yet only his wisdom was sought in making the decision. And, you know, when it comes to um, life's actions, it might be right sometimes to, in considering life's actions to take our world's uh, worldly interests into account. So that's not bad. Sometimes we have to take a look at what we have and what we possess and, and figure out, you know, exactly what we should, which direction we should go in. But it's wrong and dangerous to take only that perspective into view. It always should include God. It always should include what God wants for us and how God wants us to take who we are and our possessions and use them and move them according to his will and purposes. And this is where Lot kind of went sideways is that he just looked at what he had and said, how do I move what I have to the best of my ability or to the best uh, payoff for me? And he didn't look at saying, well, hold on a second, God, what do you want me to do with this? And this is where he kind of went uh, uh, aside. And then in verse 14, uh, we read that God immediately, so Lot leaves with his family. And then God, it's almost like God's like, okay, this is done. Now, Abram, let me, let me remind you again. Let me tell you again what it is that I'm going to do and what my promise to you really is. And it's only after Lot had decided to leave. It's after Abram was at this point of, man, that sucks. <laughs> you know, that, that's tough that my family has left me, that, you know, I've been divided and like, you know, and Truly, I think he must have felt a little disrespected as well, because like that lot would have just gone ahead and done that. But, you know, then God comes to him and says, you know what, it's just as much to do with what I'm going to do as it did with Lot's choices. You know, and it's really interesting that we see this concept or this idea of, you know, what God would talk about and what Christ would reveal because, you know, we see that whoever wants to really keep his life shall lose it, right? But whoever, for Christ's sake and the gospel, loses it shall ultimately find it. And so we see that truth and that reality that comes to pass. And so then we, uh, we move on. And, and so there's this, 
you know, these kings get together and they decide that they want to fight some other kings and and uh, they want to fight the, the king of Sodom and, and of Gomorrah, et cetera, et cetera. And we pick it up in verse 12 and we find that Lot is caught up in this, right? And it's really interesting because the last time we see Lot, he's going to pitch uh, his tents and his livestock by Sodom. Right. So we're told he's just going to go and do this. But then it's really interesting. Now we see he's actually living in Sodom. So it's, he moves, you know, close by it or, you know, he leaves close by it. And now he's actually living in it. And I think it's really, really this great example of the fact that sin has this strange power of obscuring the moral vision and deadening the voice of conscience. You know, it, it's just this kind of thing where, you know, this is what, this is why daily hearing God's word is so important because Lot was this pious man, right? But he thought he could live close to the vice of Sodom and not be drawn into it. And then he was. And the fact is he was oblivious to that fact. He was not, he, he had no idea like, well, no, like, you know, yes, I, I was living, you know, close to it. And then the draw of it drew him in. You know, again, why? Because what he was choosing and what he'd chosen from the very beginning was with his own wisdom to look and discern, you know, how do I multiply my possessions? How do I see whether it is that I can, uh, how I can get the best lands and the best watering places, et cetera, et cetera. And the, the fact is, is that he got drawn into Sodom and, and all of a sudden he found himself completely obscured um, by this reality. And I think, you know, that's why it's so important that we recognize that, you know what, we need to, we need to rely on Christ's revelation to us day in and day out, because without that, there are so many voices and there are so many things to which we think we know which way we should go. We think that we can come up with the best ideas or solutions. We think that, you know, our wisdom is the best there is. And I love, you know, in the scriptures where we're told to challenge, to do not be wise in our own eyes, but to fear the Lord and shun evil. For why? For this will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. And I love this passage because anytime I'm wise in my own eyes, sideways is the way I go. 100%. It's 100%. It doesn't matter. When I'm wise in my own eyes, sideways is the journey. And in God, we always want to be moving forward, not sideways. Why do we want to waste time, energy, and effort moving sideways and laterally when we know that what it is it's going to take to move forward should be our sole focus and our sole goal, right? And so that's what it is. And so we see in verse 15 and 16, Abram, you know, think about this, like, my goodness. So he's got this, this nephew who di uh, disrespects him, goes and leaves, lives in Sodom, and then someone, uh, a messenger comes in and says like, hey, you know, your, your, your nephew's been captured and everything else right then and there, Abram could have been like, Oh, well, you make your choice. You live with it. Like, you know, those are the consequences, you know, and, and uh, you know, sometimes in parenting, that's okay. <laughs> you know, you're like, Hey kids, like, okay, those are your choices. You know, you speed, you get the ticket. Okay. Man, all right. You know, but in this case, Abram just said, well, well, no, no, this is my family. This is wrong. And immediately he sets out to, to go and rescue him. And that's, it's profound to me, but again, it, it's profound when we look at it in human terms. It's not profound when we recognize that in Abram was a man centered in God and centered in trusting God for who he was and all that he aspired to be. And so that it becomes through a different lens that we look at him and we recognize like, oh my, 
yes, of course. Like, of course, that would be his heart. Of course, that would be his desire. Of course, that would be what he does. And in verses 15 and 16, we see these great similarities uh, between Abraham and Christ, like a foreshadowing of what Christ would do on our behalf. You know, because why? Because Abram, first of all, recognized that he, his brothers were in captivity, right? And so very much like us, we were in, we were captives to sin. And so then he goes and he defeats the principalities of evil, much like Christ did when he came and died on a cross. He was, and uh, Abram was motivated by love as Christ was motivated by love. And he was also had this calm assurance that he was in his father's will. And so, I, you know, again, we see this, this similarity in these realities between what it is that Abram had, um, had done and what Christ would do. And I love the fact that way back in Genesis, at the very beginning, we see this foreshadowing of Christ the Redeemer, of what it is that Christ would do on our behalf. And the fact that every situation or uh, circumstance we might find ourselves in is never beyond redemption, is never beyond Christ's love, is never beyond his power to overcome, is never beyond any situation, is never beyond anything that we could possibly do or imagine because Christ is God. And because of that, we are redeemed, we are restored, we are refreshed, and we are renewed because of what Christ has done on our behalf. And so, you know, through that, and again, Abram wins this great battle. He, he gets his nephew back and his possessions. And what does he do? Immediately, Machizeldeck comes and, and he says, like, Abram, you're blessed. You know, blessed are you. And what does Abram do? He gives God a tithe. He says, you know what? I recognize that all I have and all I possess will, will have and always comes from God alone. And so, God, I give this back to you because I recognize that because of who you are, you have given me all that I need and all that I could ever want. And so in this, too, we see that, man, this is crazy. And this, this reality that God, or Abram's heart is so set on God that he recognizes and has this perfect perspective of what it is that all of his possessions come from and all that God does, not just in the financial blessing, but in the, 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 you know, the battle blessing, the uh, God's blessing overcomes or oversees all aspects of Abram's life. And because of that, in everything that he does, Abram desires to give back to God because of what God has done for him. And that contrast is made very clear again when the king of Sodom says, hey, well, let me, let me give you this or give you that. But he, he says, no, nope, I've already promised God that from God alone, I will accept things but from no man I will. And because why? Because he had the foreshadowing and forethought that he would not place himself in anyone's mercy. Rather, he would place himself <clears throat> fully and completely in God's mercy because that's where he knew that life would be the most successful. And so we see in Abram, not just this person who you know, is perfect because sometimes we can read this passage and go, oh my goodness, like how could I ever be like this? But we just read that earlier when he was in Egypt, he was a man that when he realized that, you know what, God's promises are great and awesome, but when it comes to walking them out, there are two choices. We can trust in our own wisdom and our own discernment, or we can trust in God's wisdom and discernment about how those things come to fruition. And so we see how it's played out both in Abram's life and how it played out in Lot's life. 
And so there's great warnings and great realities to which we see the humanity of both men. We see the reality that they make choices that are no different than choices that you and I make day in and day out. And we see the circumstances and situations that they find themselves in. Because again, you know, uh, sometimes, well, all consequences have, um, uh, or sorry, all decisions have consequences. So it's one of those things where it's like, how, how did they play out? But then we see that what their response is to. And then Abram, when he was humbled, when he realized what he had done, when he realized how he had gotten to where he was, there was this renewed energy, this renewed strength, and this renewed trust in God. And God saying to, or Abram saying to God, I will trust you with how not only my steps go, but I will trust you in making my ways come to fruition. And all that I do, I recognize that my responsibility is only to trust you in each and every moment and to you know, commit my ways to you and know that you will bring them about in your timing, in your place. And whatever it is you have called me to, I will walk through. Whatever it is that you have revealed to me, I will do. And whatever it is that you want me to do, I will do. And because of that, we see this great reality and this great truth of who God is and a great example of a man who was a man who still had failings and, and fallings, but who trusted in God. And because of those situations and realities, God was able to reveal and set up what it is that he was calling Abram to do in the future. Thank you for joining us for today's Bible study. Don't forget to visit heartstrong.life to access our daily blog for even more encouragement. Visit the HeartStrong shop with all kinds of awesome merch like hoodies, t-shirts, and mugs to remind you of this awesome journey of discipleship that you are on. Log in to heartstrong.life to access all your member content, resources, and downloads. We have live Bible studies for adults, students, and a Bible bootcamp for kids. Let's become HeartStrong disciples together.